You're listening to audio from Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. To find out more about Highland, go to www.hbcwaco.org. There's a lot that God has placed on my heart today to share, so let's jump right in. Let's go to Mark chapter 4 together. If you've been here this summer, it should be no surprise at all that we're going to the Gospel of Mark, or if you've been listening to us online. The fourth chapter is where we're going this morning, Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse, excuse me, Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. We have been in a summer series called Holy Sweat as we've been following the life of Christ who is the servant. And how he has called us to live a life of service ourselves, service back to him and service to others. Mark chapter 4, beginning verse 1 together this morning. We get a little context of where Jesus is. And he, meaning Christ, began to teach beside the sea. Now this is the Sea of Galilee or the Lake of Galilee. It's not really a sea. It's a lake that behaves like a sea. And a very large crowd. That has kind of been the, uh, the theme of Mark chapter 1, 2, and 3. There's a crowd always around Jesus. Not just a crowd, but a large crowd. And they were gathered about him. Or your Bible translation might say around him. So he had to get into a boat. And he sat in that boat on the sea and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. So make sure we have this picture correct. That the crowd was so, so massive in number and were so close to him, pressing into him, that Jesus gets into a boat and he goes out probably just a few, few yards really off the shore. And the people are gathered now on the shore there at the Sea of Galilee and they're listening, which, is, which makes a lot of sense. The, 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 certainly the water would have been serving as a, an amplification to help carry the voice of Jesus. And here's all these people surrounded there on the Sea of Galilee on the, on the shoreline and they're listening to him speak. And in verse two it says, and he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching he said to them, listen. Now, Jesus doesn't always begin his parables like this, but I think it's important to realize that this is a very um, um, consequential parable that Jesus is about to teach. So he says, listen, you need to hear this. You've got to grasp this truth. Behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path. The birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. Since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, the people didn't stop just then and and reach up to make sure they had ears. What Jesus was actually saying to them is you've got to hear this. It kind of harkens back to verse 3. Listen, what I'm about to tell you is very important. And when he was alone, those around him with the 12 asked him, asked Jesus about the parables. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside Everything is in parables so that they may indeed see, but not perceive. They may indeed hear, but not understand lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. 
And then they have no root in themselves, but they endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things enter in and choke the word and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and they bear fruit 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. Now in this parable from verse 1 to verse 20, we really can kind of see it broken up into, into four parts. Verse 1 and verse 2 is the context, kind of the, the what and, and the where, the what's happening. And then we see Jesus giving the parable to us in verse 3 to verse 9. And then the parable is explained to us in, in verses 13 to verse 20. But there's a really interesting interjection in the middle of the parable and the parable's explanation there in verse 10, 11, and 12. I hope your Bible's still open. Keep it here to Mark chapter 4, the remainder of the morning. Look at Mark chapter 4, verses 10, 11, and 12. This is a, an interesting, overarching, and if you will, if you've been at Highland for a while, this is a part of the upper story statement of Scripture. And when Jesus was alone, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parables, and he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, outside of the kingdom, everything is a parable, so that, and now Jesus is about to quote from Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah is, uh, Jesus quotes from Isaiah more than any other Old Testament book. Here's what he quotes, that they might see, or they may indeed see, but not perceive they may indeed hear but not truly understand lest they should turn which is a statement for repentance and and be forgiven let's begin this morning with that statement because on the first glance at it it may sound like a riddle it may not make a whole lot of sense but here is what jesus is saying to us look back to verse 11 to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, because that is true, then Isaiah 6 is reversed for those who are in the kingdom. They can see and perceive, they can hear and understand. Here's the statement I'd like for you to either write down in your heart deeply or write down in the front cover of your Bible or just write down your notes. And here it is the ability to understand God's word is a God given gift. If this morning you're able to open up God's word, Read it and understand how to apply it. Read it and know where you need to obey it. You need to thank God because that's a gift from God. It's actually a gift of the Holy Spirit given by God that you and I might even understand and even perceive the word of God. If you have insight into God's word and when you read God's word, you understand how you should apply it, how you should obey it, how you should live it out. This is an amazing gift from God that a capacity to understand God's word is a gift from God. And so Jesus is saying here, those inside the kingdom, they will hear God's word and understand God's word. They will see God's word and they will perceive God's word because they have turned, they have repented, they have been forgiven. So let's break down this parable, if you don't mind, this morning. Let's kind of see all the different elements involved here. Here's the first thing that, that we see in this parable to help make sure we understand it together today. The seed is God's word. That, that's what the seed represents. It is God's word. In fact, if you're confused by that a little bit, just look to verse 14 because it's very clear there in verse 14, the sower sows the word. When the gospel writer Luke was writing about this parable, here's what Luke said in Luke chapter eight, verse 11. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. 
So nothing muddy about that. No cloudy understanding there. The seed represents the word of God. So this morning, let's look together how seed is like God's word. Seed is like the word of God in in this way. Number one, there's life in it. There's life in a seed just as there is life in God's word. If you go home today and you, you plant glass or metal or rock into the ground, nothing is gonna grow up because there's no life in that but there's life in a seed. You you plant a seed and then life comes forth in the same way God's word is alive. God's word is living. God's word is is active. And so we see here that God's word is just like a seed. In fact, let me just kind of give you a practical word. Nothing else you read this week outside of God's word has life to it. But when you read God's word, there's life. There's life in a seed. There's life in God's word. The seed is like the word of God also in this way. Seeds are small, but they produce greatness. I'm probably gonna get some emails on this, but let me explain myself before you start writing me an email right now here in the middle of the gathering. Sometimes I read God's word. Maybe sometimes you read God's word and we're reading through God's word and we don't have a, a wow moment in scripture. Sometimes we're in scripture and we don't have this pivotal revelation as we're, as we're reading scripture, as we're in God's word. Or maybe we don't have that, that moment where we go, wow, this is, this is amazing. In fact, maybe just the opposite. Sometimes we're in God's word and we're reading God's word and we think, is this even significant? To me, this seems relatively minor. Hang on. In the same way, when a farmer drops a seed, he doesn't yell, bombs away. I'm going to say small, little seed. In fact, once that seed hits the ground, you may have a hard time even finding that seed in the soil. In the same way, God's word is like this. It is sometimes maybe just a small understanding of of God, just a small little truth that we have placed into our lives. But but in that, it begins to, to grow. It begins to produce abundance. It begins to produce this greatness. God's word inside of us begins to swell. It begins to grow in this, this thought of, of expanding and swelling in our hearts and swelling in our minds. And so I want to say to you this morning, stay, family, stay in God's word. Because it begins to grow and swell and expand in us. It produces this abundance. It produces this greatness. Just like that small seed that drops to the ground begins to grow. The seed is like the word of God in this way also. Number three, fruitful results. You you drop a, a seed in the ground and the expectation is that it might grow a crop or grow a harvest or grow a yield or grow a fruit. And in that yield, in that harvest, in that fruit, more seeds are produced. And then the the multiplication or the exponential multiplication of that is now there's many seeds that are able to grow many more harvests or many more yields or many more crops or many more fruits. So in the same way, God's word is like that. There's a cycle to God's word. As we're in God's word, it grows up inside of us. And then we, we are able to sow that word into ministry, sow that word into other people, sow that word into the kingdom. And it continues to grow. It's the life cycle of the seed. In the same way, there's a life cycle in the word. Here's the fourth thing. The seed is like the word of God because it must be embedded or received to grow. A seed will never grow if you just hold on to it. A seed will never grow just by putting that seed on a table or even believing that that is a seed. And this analogy has great legs to it. In the same way, just holding God's word on a Sunday morning or having God's word at your house or even believing that it is God's word will not accomplish anything in you until you receive God's word. Until it's planted inside of you, until you've embedded it into your heart and into your mind, then it's planted into our lives, then it begins to grow. This is how a seed is like the word 
of God. Let's look at the second element here within this parable that Jesus gives us. The soil then is the human heart. The soil is the human heart. In fact, you need to, anytime you, you read a parable of Jesus, you need to find yourself in that parable. That is why every parable that Jesus gives either has characters or types inside of it. And so what you're doing in a parable is you're searching that parable and you're trying to find yourself in that parable. Here's what Bob Goff says. He says, we don't always get to pick the parable we're living in, but we do get to pick who we are in the parable. And so as we read through a parable, what we need to do this morning is allow the Spirit of God to to introspect our lives. For you not to take an inventory to see perhaps is our or our hearts this morning, is one of our hearts today just like this soil. But I want you to please see this. Three out of the four soils rejected the power of God's word. 75% of the hearts would push back on the power of the word of God. They rejected the seed. Let's look at the first heart this morning, or the first soil this morning that Jesus talks about. It's in verse 4, then he explains it in verse 15. It's the hard soil, which represents, this is an easy analogy here, an easy connection, a hard heart. It's that, that person that hears God's word, that they hear of the seed of God's word, but, but it's not received into them. It's, it's a perfect picture, really, of the Isaiah 6 passage that Jesus is quoting for us here in, in verse 11, in verse 12. The soil is the human heart. The first soil is that hard soil, that, that, that hard heart. They, they hear God's word, but, but it's not received. It's not planted in them. And so this morning, in case that might be you, or you kind of see in yourself the tendency to have a hard heart that rejects the word of God, let me just let us all see together this morning, how is it that our hearts become hardened against the power of God's word? Let me give you a couple of thoughts today, four of them actually. Here's the first way to, to have a hard heart. One, move away from God's word. And, and, and I mean that very literally. Like geographically, you're moving as far away as you can from God's word. I don't want to be in church. I don't want to hear God's word. I don't want to be in ABF. I don't want to hear God's word. I want to be in CG. I don't want to hear God's word. I don't want to be around my, my, my Christian friends or people at work who are always reminding me of the authority of God's word, the power of God's word. The, the number one way I would say to have a hard heart against the word of God is just to move your life away from God's word. Here's the second way to have a hard heart. Refuse to believe it. Just in case you can't get away from it, and you're at church, you're around Christian friends, or there's, there's scripture being played in your house, or scripture posted around you, that the second way to have a really hard heart against the seed of God's word is just to refuse to believe it. Okay, so God, I, I hear what you're saying, I don't believe it, I doubt it. It doesn't match up to my feelings. It doesn't match up to the culture, it doesn't match up to the polls, it doesn't match up to what my other friends are saying. So God, my, my heart's gonna grow really hard against you because I'm refusing to believe you at your word. Here's the third way to have a real hard heart. Be distracted by fill in the blank. Because if there's 950 of us in this house right now, there's 950 different distractions. Do you know what the Pharisees were distracted by? Their own pride. Their own arrogance. Their own self-centeredness. Maybe for you it's a distraction of technology or a distraction of gaming or a distraction of your busy schedule or a distraction of relationship. But whatever that fill in the blank might be for you, it's amazing how hard our hearts become against the voice of God and the word of God and the seed that is God's word when we're distracted by something. Here's the fourth word, and this probably is one that we'd all come up with together. It's just apathy. God, I don't care what you say. I don't care what your word says. I don't care what your spirit is saying to me. 
my, my heart is cold and, and the word just bounces off that cold heart like a, like a rock ricocheting off of a pond. I don't care. I don't care what you say to me. And all four of those things, either individually or collectively, begin to produce this callousness to our heart. And so when God's word comes to us like this seed, it just kind of bounces off. In fact, there in verse four, when Jesus was explaining this parable, he uses that word path. And, and maybe we need to understand that in the first century, the word path was this hard, heavy trodden soil that person after person, family after family has gone down this trail in the middle of a forest or in the middle of an open field. And, and, and the ground is so hard that nothing can penetrate that ground so when that seed hits that ground it just bounces off that was the hardness of the soil that Jesus was speaking of and I've got to wonder this morning are there some of us in this house that our hearts are the same way we hear God's word it just ricochets off it's so hardened here's the second type of soil that represents a heart that Jesus is speaking about it's that rocky soil which represents a shallow heart. We see it explained or or, or talked about in verse five and then Jesus explains it in verse 16 and verse 17 in your passage that that rocky soil, that shallow hearts, these are hearts that just fall away in times of difficulty. Here's what a shallow heart sounds like, by the way. Man, that was the best sermon I've ever heard. That was the best Bible study I've ever heard. Man, that was the best time with God I've ever had. I love that scripture. It meant so very much to me. This is so great. I love this. I'm going to seize God's word. I'm going to embrace God's word. And I'm going to make sure all my needs are met through God's word. Until. Until the difficulties of the world begin to intersect that enthusiasm. Then that heart just returns back to the ways of the world. The thinking of the world. The system of the world. That heart just returns back to self-centered living when they realize that following Jesus is costly. That there is a cost to discipleship. The shallow heart rejoices in hearing the truth. There's great joy, Jesus even explained it to us down in verse 16. They receive this with, with great joy and yet there's no depth and yet there's nothing happening that their hearts are so shallow. Did you notice throughout the scriptures that Jesus often lifted up the cost of following him, but rarely did he lift up the reward of following him. It was almost like he was reminding all of us in this house today who call ourselves followers of Jesus, there's a lot, there's a lot to following Jesus. There's a cost to it. There's a cost to do to discipleship. We can't just reduce following Jesus, Highland, down to the bare minimum. I'll give only minimum of what it takes, Jesus, to follow you. Jesus never lifted up discipleship in this way. Instead, he often lifted up the difficult parts of following him. And listen, I would say to you, Highland, that the more America lives in a post-Christian culture and society in which we now live, the more we will see shallow hearts falling away from Jesus when the cost gets higher. This is what Jesus even says. I'm not not just making this up. Look at verse 17 with me, please. As Jesus is explaining this, and they have no root in themselves. They they endure for a little while, but then, and here's the word, when, when tribulation, your Bible might render that difficulty, when tribulation comes, when difficulty comes, and don't miss this, or persecution that arises on account of the word. Immediately, those shallow hearts fall away. I find that fascinating on account of the word. Not persecution or difficulty because you're a jerk, but difficulty because you're standing on the word of God. 
or persecution because you're saying, I'm not backing down. No matter what the polls say, no matter what the culture says, no matter what my friends say, I am not backing down on this being the authority of God's word to my life as a follower of Jesus. Even if I have persecution on account of the word and what Jesus is saying here, there are some who say that they're following Jesus and difficulty comes, persecution comes, and they're out of there. They fall away. Here's the third soil I want us to see this morning. It's the thorny soil or the crowded heart. Jesus speaks of it in the parable in verse seven. And then in verse 18 and verse 19, he unpacks that the thorny soil is is the crowded heart. In other words, there's just too many passions, too many things for which they have an affection. Way too busy with all the things in life that they count important. You know, our, our heart, Highland, our hearts can only respond to so many things. Our hearts can only worship so many things. And here Jesus is calling that soil, the, the thorny soil, the, the crowded out heart. What, what is it that's crowding it out? Jesus even lists for us what it is that crowds out our heart, what it is that, that is a passion for us or things that we respond to or things that we bow down to. Look in verse 19, he begins to list these things out. In verse 19, he says, here it is, that they are, they are those who hear the word, verse, into verse 18, verse 19, but the cares of the world. Or your Bible might render that a more familiar term, the worries of the world. So I'll put my notes for you, the worry and the fear. I mean, what are the worries? I mean, I bet some of you here have a PhD in worrying. You worry about anything and everything. And that's what Jesus is saying here. There there are some that they want to follow Jesus and yet worry keeps crowding out discipleship. Fear keeps, keeps crowding out fellowship of Jesus. What is it that we worry about? We worry about what's next. We worry if we're going to be alone. We worry about, about our health, about our finances. These things begin just to crowd out the seed, crowd out the word of God. What's the second thing that Jesus says here? But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches. I just called this the lies of money. That, that money brings security, that money brings happiness. You know the other thing about money that I'm still learning? It leaves. <laughs> Quickly. I mean, you can get a raise and all of a sudden that money's gone. Get a bonus and, and all of a sudden something breaks and you have to, have to pay for it. There was a song back in the early 1970s by, by Rare Earth and it talks about how the dollar bill was in my hand and the dollar bill blew away. I mean, is that not the true security of money? And yet the lie of money is the more you have, the more secure you will be. The more you have, the happier you will be. The more you have, the more that you'll have to, to hold on to. And let me tell you something, Highland, that's not the nature of money. And here we see that the lies of money, that that deceitfulness of riches, it it crowds out the word of God in our hearts. And here's the third thing Jesus says, and I think this is is so deep and so rich. Look what he says here, the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things. Wow. The desires for other things, I just listed that as looking for something better than Jesus. That crowds out the word. When you're constantly searching for something that will satisfy, you're constantly looking for for something of significance in your life. And what Jesus said is the desires of of other things begin to to enter in. In other words, the word's not enough. Jesus isn't sufficient. I'm going to look for something that might be better than Jesus, the desire of other things. 
Every so often I, I do this. If you're under the age of 30, would you just lift your hand up for me pretty high under the age of 30? Great. Wow. Incredible. Love seeing that. Under the age of 30. Can I just tell you something? Let me save you a lifetime of hurt in front of you under 30-year-olds. Nothing will satisfy you like Jesus. Now, if you're over the age of 30, and that is your testimony today also, that you've looked for other things and there's nothing else out there that satisfies you like Jesus, would you just say amen? Amen. Listen to the testimony of the saints. We've been there. There are no other things and no one, no thing that can satisfy us like Jesus satisfies us. Looking for something better than Jesus begins to crowd out the word in our heart. But here's the, the fourth soil. And I gotta say it to you one more time. Did you notice three out of the four soils reject the power of God's word? Here's the fourth soil. It was a good soil or a fruitful heart. Jesus in the parable talks about it in verse eight. He explains it in verse, verse 20. The good soil or the fruitful heart, that's the the one who believes the word, accepts the word, obeys the word, grows up in the word. And for farmers who might be here in the house today, you know that it is a great thing if you get an eight to one ratio from a seed. If from one seed you have eight yields, that's amazing. But look at the numbers Jesus is talking about. He's not talking eight to one. He's talking 30-fold. Look at verse 20, the very end of verse 20. He's talking 30-fold and 60-fold and and 100-fold. In other words, Jesus is moving out now of the natural parable, and now he's talking about the supernatural because only God can produce that kind of responsiveness. 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. What is the fruit? In the New Testament, it gives us the answer to the parable. What is the fruit that we're desiring to produce in our lives that is produced by the word of God being planted, embedded and planted inside of our hearts and our minds. What are the fruits? Here's the first fruit, the fruit of the spirit. Love and joy and peace and patience and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and kindness and self-control. That's what grows up is the power of the Holy Spirit inside of us and that spirit being fed by the word of God. The first fruit that we see yielded in our lives, a life that has good soil in it, a life that, that accepts God's word, believes God's word, obeys God's word, grows up in God's word. We see the fruit of the spirit produced in mass quantities. Here's the second fruit we see. I love this, the fruit of worship. This is what the author of Hebrews is talking about in Hebrews chapter 13, verse, verse 15 that the fruit of our lips is praise to Jesus. That's the fruit of our lips is is worship. Let me tell you something. Worship is is more than singing, but it's not less than singing. It's it's adoring God. It's praising God for who he is. It's it's adoring the son. It's esteeming Jesus. It's treasuring Jesus. This is the fruit of worship. Where does that begin? It begins by that seed, God's word, being birthed in us. We allow it. We believe it. We receive it. It's embedded in us. And now out of that grows the fruit of the spirit. Out of that grows the fruit of worship. But here's the third fruit we see in the New Testament, the fruit of good works. That's in Colossians chapter one, verse 10. What's good works? Got a really simple explanation. It's doing good things to others for the glory of God. That's good works. And it can be giving of your money, the giving of the gospel, the giving of your time, the giving of your kindness, the giving of your sweat, the giving of your work. So since I mentioned sweat, let me give you then a couple of thoughts. If you've been here the last few weeks, we've been talking through some really practical ways that you and I can sweat together, spiritually speaking, this summer. 
Let me give you some opportunities to, to holy sweat, if you will. Here's the first one that comes straight from God's word to us today. Sow God's word into someone else's life this week. I want you to catch this also in the parable. In the parable, it's not just Jesus who is the sower, and it's not just the preacher who is the sower. If you're a follower of Christ, you are a sower. And I know that sometimes the, it seems like the, 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 the hyper uh, Pentecostals have stolen that word sow, but, but that word sow is a powerful word. We should be sowing God's word into other people's lives. So what does that look like? I gave you a lot of technological ideas up there on the screen. You can email somebody, you can text somebody, uh, you can Snapchat somebody, you can DM somebody, and if, if you can write a letter. Do they still do the postal thing with the stamps and everything? If you want to write a letter, you're welcome to do that, but sow God's word. I'm not asking you to like think through some really encouraging words you can give that person i am saying just give them god's word where do i start preacher how about psalm 23 that's always a good word to plant into somebody else's life how about philippians chapter 1 verse 6 that's a good word to plant to sow in someone else's life how about ephesians chapter 3 verses 20 through 21 that's a great word to plant into somebody's life what word has challenged you this week what word from god's word has built you up this week established you this week pass that word along The word of God is the seed. That's an easy way for you and I to sweat. That's about a 120 second exercise this week to sow God's word into someone's life. Here's a second way that I think is just as easy. Sing in the worship choir. Every Sunday you have the opportunity. I I honestly think this is the easiest of them all. Why? Because you're here already. Um, This worship choir is not looking for singers or else I would not be in it. They're looking for people who like to sing like to sing out, like to worship the Lord. And it's, an, it's an easy deal because every week I get an email from Pastor Jared, and you can too if you want to be in the worship choir. And he sends me every song we're singing. He sends me a little file, a, a little link where I can go in and have an MP3 and then listen to, to all the songs that we're singing so that on Sunday morning when I'm able to sing in the worship choir and you can sing in the worship choir, I've been using those songs all week long to worship the Lord. So it's just a time for me to exercise within my church family something that I'd love to do privately throughout the week in the presence of the Lord. And here's another reason I sing, just to be very personal, and some of you may not like this personal explanation. I sing in the worship choir because six years ago when I joined Highland as a member, on my covenant form, I said, I'm gonna find a place to serve. So I don't sing in the worship choir as a pastor. I sing in the worship choir as a covenant member here at this church. It's a way for me to express something that I love to do. I have no idea if I'm good at it or not, but I love to do it. I love to sing. And so I'd encourage you maybe to sweat with me up there this semester and next semester until Jesus comes back that we sing and worship choir together. Here's, here's the third idea. And this will get really financial on this one. Let's supply our wind kids this year with school supplies. Did you know that every school day afternoon, Highland takes on 58 kids from Dean Highland Elementary? They come here and they play in this gym and we feed them a dinner. We help them with their homework. We tell them gospel-centered stories about the grace of Jesus and the greatness of God and the power of the Spirit. And so this year, I'd really like for us, before school even starts, for us to raise $100 per kid. If my math skills are correct, and they rarely are, I think that's $5,800 we're looking to raise today. So if you're interested in sweating a little bit by supplying some supplies, some school supplies for our win kids, anything that you put missions on today, missions on your memo line for a check, missions at the giving stations out in the lobby, giving or use the word missions on, on the text giving today. When you go home this afternoon, go to the church, uh, go to the computer, go to the church website, 
go to the give station, the give portion, and go to missions. Everything given to missions today will go to the school supplies for our 58 win kids. Let's go ahead and raise that $5,800 plus today, and let's mark that off the list. Here's the fourth thing I have for you. Be a foundation builder for our youngest. In the past, the preacher would stand up and say, we need more preschool workers. I'm asking if the Lord is pressing into your heart right now to be a foundation builder for the youngest, the littlest among us. That you might be willing even every other week to serve in our preschool. Let me tell you, that preschool hallway is exploding with kids. Like we're having to, to expand right now. There's construction going on this week in the preschool area, trying to find some more rooms for more spaces uh, for more kids. There's a lot of kids. When there's a lot of kids, guess what? We need a lot of teachers, helpers. Cross those two things off. Foundation builders. Some men and some women who'd be willing to speak into the lives of the youngest among us that there is a God and that God loves them deeply and dearly. So if you're interested in that, you can email Ann Shirley, our preschool minister. You can email me this week and I'll make sure I pass it along to the right person. Let me step back into this passage then. Those are some opportunities for us to, to display the fruit of good works. But let's look very carefully on, on, on a very high level here. Again, here's the upper story of Mark chapter four. Here's, here's kind of the essence of what Jesus was saying about these soils. Those with hard hearts, shallow hearts, and crowded hearts have this extrinsic faith. That is, God, I will serve you for what I can get out of it. I will serve you, God, for what I can acquire. Whether that be a good reputation, or kind of a good feeling of, of having done the, the right thing with the wrong motive. Those with the hard hearts, with the shallow hearts, with the crowded hearts, they serve God for only they could get out of it, only what they could acquire. But those with a fruitful heart, those with a good soil, their hearts have an intrinsic faith. In other words, serving God just to get God. Just to press into God, just to know God, just to obey God. Motivated by God's presence. Motivated by Jesus Christ, the servant to you, the servant to me, the servant to all. Those with that extrinsic faith serve God for what they can get out of God. Those with an intrinsic faith serve God just to get God. There's probably something else happening here in these parables that a lot of theologians speak to, and I would, I would fully agree. Not only is this parable speaking about how people respond to the word, it's how people respond to Jesus. So those with the hard hearts, that hard soil, that probably represents the Pharisees, the religious leaders who did not want to respond not only to the seed of God's word, but to the son of God, Jesus. Those who had the, the, the shallow hearts, that was probably more like the crowd always pressing up against Jesus. They just wanted Jesus for the miracle. They just wanted Jesus for what they could get out of it. But their hearts were so shallow. The crowded hearts, a lot of people believe, and I would agree with this, probably represents Jesus's family who was so worried about what the world thought of them. Remember last chapter and chapter three, they went and seized Jesus. The family of Jesus went and seized him and said, you've lost your mind. When Jesus was in Nazareth, remember it was his family themselves that beginning to doubt. They were embarrassed of this Jesus. Maybe it was the family of Jesus who represents this crowded heart. They were concerned with the world, I think, but the, the hearts that were fruitful, the, the hearts that had good soil, they loved Jesus. 
They wanted to press into him to know him, not to get something from him. They loved the light. They loved the promise. They saw Jesus as the lamb. And isn't it interesting, the very next thing that Jesus says, I hope your Bible's still open, as I land this plane, is Mark chapter four, verse 21. And he said to them, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. Here's what Jesus is saying. Who would go out and buy a lamp for it to, to bring light to a room only to put a dark blanket over it, only to, to cover it up with a basket or to place it underneath the, the bed? Why would anything purchased for an expressed purpose not be used for that expressed purpose? I mean, you would never use a paper plate to sail across the ocean. You would never use a toothpick to, to drive in a nail. You would never send a, a sofa up into space for exploration. I mean, you would never have a, a cat as a beloved household pet. Like, no, no one would do any of these things, surely. But I digress. Light was created to shine. So sisters and brothers in the house today, we were created to serve. We were created to display the fruit of good works. I, I shared this verse with you last week, but I want to share it to you one more time. It's Ephesians chapter two, verse 10. You see it on the screen behind me. Paul says, for we are his workmanship. We were created in Christ Jesus. And here it is, for good works. And so as I said to you last week, if you wander around Waco, oh God, what's my purpose? Why am I here? What am I here for? Here it is. You were created for good works to display the fruit of good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? Verse 22, for nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. Here's what Jesus is saying, I'm going to be done here. What has been revealed to you needs to be revealed to others. What has been revealed to you needs to be revealed to others. Listen, light in Christ has been revealed to you daughters and sons of God. Therefore, reveal that light to others. Grace in Christ has been revealed to you. Therefore, reveal it to others. Grace in Christ has been revealed to you. Therefore, reveal it to others. The gospel of Christ has been revealed to you. Therefore, reveal it to others. Jesus himself, because of God's great mercy, has been revealed to you. Therefore, this week, Highland, let us reveal Jesus to others.